Welcome to the radio broadcast of Pineview Baptist Church, a growing community of faith in the Belfast community of Goldsboro. We are located at 3357 U.S. Highway 117 North in Goldsboro. We invite you to find out more about our congregation by visiting us at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. Join us now for our weekly message. Pastor Dean Hightower was the senior minister at Community Baptist Church for over 27 years. After a two-year term on the mission field, he returned to LaGrange, where he heads up the fruitful ministry to the seasoned saints at Community Baptist, along with serving in various other roles in the church. He had the honor to serve with me. I mean, I had the honor to serve with him on the school board for Wayne Christian School many years ago, so... We've known each other for a long time. So without any further ado, Brother Dean, if you'd bring the message. Thank you, Phil. Blessing to be here today and open the scriptures and I trust uh, be be a blessing. You know, when we stand in the pulpit, that's one of the things we should pray for first and foremost is to be a blessing, be a blessing to the saints, and then a evangelist to those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pastored Community Baptist Church for 27 years. I pastored for a total of 40 years, three churches. And you know, I look back, and I'm glad it was only three churches because I was able to establish relationships in those churches. Came to LaGrange in 1981, brought my children here, and uh, they found partners or mates here, spouses, and they're still here. And that's another blessing, that uh, having your children close by at all times Uh, I lost my wife three years ago, and what a blessing my children have been to me to just step in and uh, make sure daddy's doing okay. Those three children have produced for me seven grandchildren and uh, 13 great-grandchildren. What a joy. I was with seven of those great-grandchildren last night. Of course, their parents were there as well and still able to get in the floor with them and enjoy the time uh, that you can have with these children. Uh, Open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2. 2 Timothy, chapter 2. Timothy is one of the pastoral epistles that Paul is writing, in this case, to a young Timothy. Book of Titus is another of the pastoral epistles, and we find a lot of good information concerning ministry, pastors continuing on, that God will be glorified. And this particular text that I'm going to read to you this morning has special emphasis. I hope I can be able to bring out the emphasis before I really get into the message. Paul writing to his young, probably 
a convert that he led to Christ, Timothy, he says, you, Timothy, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That word grace, do you appreciate the grace of God? If, you, if we do not understand grace, God help us because we're saved by grace. We live every day by grace. By the grace of God, we are not consumed. And so Paul says, uh, be strong in the grace. I would encourage you, be strong in the grace. Then he begins to move in a vein of discipleship. He says, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to reach or teach others also. Discipleship. In this passage of Scripture, there are four generations of believers. Think about that. Paul, the first generation. He led Timothy to Christ. The things that you've heard from me. Among many witnesses, commit these. Timothy, I've passed this to you. Commit these, notice, to faithful men. Third generation of faithful Christians having been disciple. Paul discipling Timothy. Timothy, you disciple faithful men. And notice the rest of the passage who will be able to teach others also. Fourth generation of Christians. We are here as believers because we are in the process of this generation after generation after generation down to our day that the grace of God that saves souls leads and gives us understanding and maturity continues on. So Paul says, there are four generations. I, Timothy, your converts, or whomever you are working with, and then those that you've been faithful to, that they likewise will do the same over and over again. Are we doing that? Are we doing that over and over and over again? Verse 4. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who established him as a soldier. We just celebrated or continuing to celebrate this weekend Veterans Day. Veterans Day, uh, November the 11th, uh, 1919, was set aside to honor veterans. And how many veterans do we have? I know Phil, a veteran, two, three, four, five, six, and on in the congregation. I say thank you. This is a celebration weekend of what you did. Now, it doesn't stop there, does it? Since many of you have served several generations. I look over the congregation. Several generations have continued right on. And uh, we're free today because of the bravery of those who became 
they, they volunteered. Some were drafted. Many were drafted. But they, they did their job, and they uh, are today being celebrated. Soldiers. So it, I think the text, I appreciate the fact that it uh, mentions soldiers. That's going to be the theme of my message somewhat. No one engaged in warfare, watch this, entangles himself with the affairs of this life. In other words, to be a good soldier, you have to look beyond this life. And you don't get ensnared in the, uh, what should I say, the politics of the duty of a soldier. He has a he has a commander. The commander comes down with orders to the from the top up, a top down general, the uh, colonel, major, captain, lieutenant, and then to these guys who have the stripes on their shoulders. Everyone, and they dare not get entangled with the affairs of this life, why? That they may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Paul goes on with the discipline in this paragraph, and we know well what a soldier has to do, boot camp, first duty, maybe second duty, third duty, and uh, even to retirement for a number. Of veterans. Goldsboro has, I don't know, a lot of retired Air Force folk. And, and every one of these guys, uh, they did not grow up here. Many of them didn't. Many did. They came home. They stayed home. But uh, they, they are good citizens. They became good soldiers. They knew what it was like to take orders. And in some cases, Give orders, because we see the structure of the military. He goes on now and, and talks about uh, those who are engaged in athletics. Verse 5, also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Then he talks about the farmer. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, he concludes in verse 7. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the reading of Scripture. The reading of the Word of God gives light, gives us understanding. I would pray that you would uh, fill me with your Spirit, even in this pulpit, that I might be able to speak as a dying man to dying people, realizing that we will each one in our time, having become believers, be committed to you as good soldiers of Christ that we leave a legacy that the next generation can carry forward. I ask this that you will bless us now in Christ's name. Amen. My message this morning is entitled, On Mission or AWOL? Think about that. The military has a term for soldiers 
who refuse to deploy. Absent, without leave. AWOL. Uh, this might be an apt term that uh, I could identify a lot of Christians with. Every Christian has a mission. And every Christian that is not on mission is AWOL. Absent, without leave. Christians, you have a, you have a mission. Uh, God has a purpose for you. The moment that you accepted Christ as your Savior. Now, you didn't know what that mission was at that time. It takes many times a lifetime of discovery, and I want you to understand that. God has a mission for us. He has a date of completion of that mission, and that's when we close our eyes, take our last breath, and the soul leaves the body. We're going to have to stand before him who is creator, maker, uh, by all means, the one that is going to evaluate how we did in our mission. Let me define a mission for you. I'm not talking about a ministry right yet. The ministry is what you do in your mission, so keep that thought in mind. I would say the mission would be this. It is your best effort at wisely integrating your personal, listen to this list, integrating your personal interest, your skills, your spiritual gift. Every believer has a spiritual gift. And integrating the circumstances into a personal vision for exercising dominion over what God has saved you for and given to you. That's your mission. It touches so much of your life. What you're interested in, what you're good at, your skills, your spiritual gift, your circumstances. That you have, catch this word, dominion over these uh, entities in life. Now, there's many, many have a misconception of mission. I want to speak to you of three misconceptions about mission. I'm not talking about ministry. Ministry is spiritual. Mission does not necessarily have to be spiritual. It covers every facet of your life, your mission. You're here for, for glorifying God. So the first misconception is, is that your mission has to be spiritual. How many Christians think in order for me to be on mission and complete my mission, I must be a preacher. Or I must be a missionary. Far from it. God calls from the body of Christ, percentage-wise, I've, I've read, studied, that he calls only some 4% of all Christians into full-time ministry. So do not think that you have to be a pastor. Do not think you have to be a missionary. 
or some full-time capacity to be on mission. It's not necessarily that you think in those terms. As a matter of fact, think of the pastors, think of the missionaries. If 4% of God's children are called to full-time ministry, where does that, how, how can they be supported without the 95 to the 96%? The missionaries need funds. They need equipment to go to the utmost part of the world to carry the gospel. So you, on mission, as a member of Pineview Baptist Church, you're very important. Very important to the overall body of Christ. Misconception number two is that uh, many people think that their mission must be epic. It has to be impressive. It has to be ambitious. No. You know what the greatest mission field that you have? Men. Your wife. Wives. Your husbands. Couples. Your children. Those are the areas. Ah. Dependability on your job. That's part of your mission. People are watching everything that you are doing daily. You claim to be a Christian? Are you? Are you showing forth that you are a believer, a committed believer? So your employment is part of your mission. Third misconception that uh, people, they think that your mission must be totally mapped out from the time you trust Christ till you take that last breath. No. No. Your mission is like two mountains. You're on one and there are mountaintop experiences. Praise God for those but you can't stay on the mountain. And your mission is to get to the other peak of the other mountain. Now, God, many times, he will leave it to you to figure the route. Keeping in mind, he's always Lord. And he gives us grace and direction in our lives. But to, but to say that we are not responsible, we are responsible to finish that mission to get the, to the other time. I like what uh, Henry Blackaby wrote in uh, his book. Uh, they call the title of it right now. But it was a great book. And, and Henry Blackaby said something to this effect. You, you want to know the will of God? And here is his thesis. Find out where God's going and just go with him. You won't, you'll never go wrong. God, is, God knows where he's going. You don't know where God is going. If I looked at my own life, uh, profession of faith as a child, far from the right uh, deportment of my life until I was 24 years old, I was challenged in a week of meetings to memorize Galatians 2.20. That passage of Scripture 
had such impact in my life that I've never been the same since then. That passage of Scripture says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. And then I was told, when I have memorized that passage of Scripture to go and prayerfully pour my life through Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, and Romans chapter 8. And that's, those three chapters are nothing but a commentary on Galatians 2.20. My life changed. My wife's life changed. And God said, for your mission, the rest of your life is ministry. Though I knew the call of God, I did not debate the call of God. I had been married at that point for eight years. My wife, when she passed, we had been married 63 years. We were just children when we got, we grew up together. I was 18 by two weeks when I married her. She was 16. And so we did, we just grew up together. When we made that commitment at that point in our lives, we understood what our mission was. Now, ministry was the spiritual aspect, but our mission was to obey the will of God. And I thank God that I, I trust we have completed and completely obeyed that will Finish what God started. That's what God wanted Adam and Eve to do. If we look at Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, God interacting with Adam and Eve, God's mission for them, I'm going to read Genesis 2, 15. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden. Two things were there was the mission. Cultivate it and keep it. Now, that wasn't a hard task. You think back in your knowledge of Scripture and they're living in a paradise. But even the paradise required some keeping, cultivating. You know, living in the Philippines for two years, things always green in the Philippines, always hot also. But uh, things, the leaves, you think that there's never a job to be done to rake, oh yes it is, those green leaves fall off after they've aged and you're constantly trying to cultivate what is growing season. For the farmers in the Philippines, they have three seasons, three crops every season, every year. I don't know how in the world they keep the, keep the land up. But anyway, God said to them, cultivate this garden and you keep it. I do see a responsibility for our uh, priority of keeping this earth. Now, I'm not a tree hugger by no stretch of the imagination. But we do have a responsibility. You know what? A, I think a simple task. If I'm walking 
down uh, out from my house and, and I see a piece of trash. Pick it up. Put it in your pocket if you don't have a place to dispose of it. That's keeping what you find around you. So the primary job, primarily, you are to, you are to glorify your creator in your home, on your job, in your church attendance, and your ministry in your church. For the younger guys, ladies, you have a ministry, a mission to raise godly children. The home. The home is the primary place. And God put emphasis on that with Adam and Eve. He said multiply. He didn't mean just to have children, have babies. His intention was for those children that they would produce would be like, in essence, the image of God that he placed on Adam and Eve, every human being, that this offspring that is going to fill the earth would be, would have the opportunity, the privilege, because of the mission of mom and dad to do the best job they could. Now, we know that uh, if we look at Adam and Eve, in essence, they failed. It's not on Adam and Eve that a king would have in his heart the enmity with his brother and would kill his brother. The mission for mom and dad is to promote in the home an atmosphere that's spiritual, that this home is a part of Christ development so that this generation I, I I read an article this week on the transgender my heart goes out to these people they have a, a world view that is anything but Christian what what happened? Who failed? I don't know who failed. I'm not pointing the blame. I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. But they are deluded. And the things that they go through. Enough said there. So what's my, what is my challenge this morning? God has a mission designed especially for you, 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 you. And I could point the finger at every one of us. I point it back to me. God has a mission for me to fulfill. And I praise God. 88, 84 years old. Don't get any older than what you really are. But I praise God for the help that he's given me. For at this point, having a brain that works maybe half of what it used to work. Name. Wow, I was thinking a moment ago, this is the second time I've been in this church. I was in this church way back long time ago, and there was a gentleman here by the name of Woody. I can't remember his last name. Anybody remember Woody's last name? What? 
Yes, Woody Hudson. I did the wedding of his daughter. Melinda, am I Belinda, Melinda, one or the other, to one of the young men from my church in LaGrange. Uh, I kept tabs with Woody. You know how I kept tabs with Woody? Uh, it's called Sandpiper in LaGrange. <laughs> a lot of times I would see him there and we'd chat for a while. But he was a member of this church. Woody's finished his course here. I don't know when Woody passed. Lost touch with him. Uh, God has it. He's in heaven today. But I want you to understand, God has a mission that's designed for you. And it requires, it requires your undivided attention. Or you fail him. Your own mission from the time you are a believer. Several questions to ask you this morning because I want to develop this thought somewhat. Question number one, are you a Christian? Question number two, does God have a mission for you now that you are a Christian? Question number three is this, are you doing God's will that he has for you? That nobody else can complete your mission but you. First question, are you a Christian? Question, how did you become a Christian? In light of what I read in Scripture, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, Scripture says, there's none righteous. No, not one. There is no one who understands there is no one who seeks God. That's a potent statement, is it not? How are you a Christian if there's no one righteous, if there's no one who understands? Verse 12, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Listen to these next words that Paul writes. Not even one. That's, that's an eye-opening passage of Scripture to my heart. Well, who made the decision for you to become a Christian then? May I be so bold as to say God did? Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now catch what he says in verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. God, you... He knew you were one of those no ones. But in spite of you being a no one, God says, I'm going to do something that you can't do for yourself. I will choose you as one of my sons or my daughters. Chosen in him before the creation of the world. Watch this. 
to be holy and blameless in his sight. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in which he has freely given us in, one, in the one he loves. Christ loved the Son. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the monogenes, only one of his kind. Never been another like Christ, never will be another like Christ. He is unique. God looked down with pity. And Jesus said, Father, I'll go. I will go. And he did. He said during his life, no one takes my life from me. I have power to take it. I have, I have power to, to take it. I have power to give it. No one takes it from me. That's why you see Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, as the scripture says, drops of blood from his capillaries under his skin. He knew at that point that he was going to die and take my, listen to me, take my punishment, take my hell so I could have his heaven. That's how much God loves you, the no ones who are not seeking God. Then the Holy Spirit takes, he takes his part. Titus 3, 4 and 5. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, one of the no ones that wasn't seeking God God would not leave me nor would he leave you if you're a believer in that lost condition so are you a Christian how and when did you become a Christian God would not leave you as a no one the sovereignty of God is at play in this, the sovereignty of God enables you through repentance of sin and faith in Christ to become sons and daughters of God. Repentance. And Jesus said, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Without repentance. The Spirit of God moved upon my heart and revealed to me what I really was. I was no one who didn't want any. I was one who wanted nothing to do with God. And as a young lad, he showed me how wicked I really was. And showed me my path, mission at 24. Repentance and faith. Many of you may have memorized this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Faith is a gift of God. Lest anyone should boast. 
Now, verse 10, we often quote 8 and 9 when we're talking to people about their soul, but we don't quote verse 10 too often. Well, verse 10 says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, catch me now, unto good works. That's your mission. That's my mission. A no one whom God says, I won't leave you as a no one. I'll make you a someone and I will give you a mission that you will glorify me for as long as you live. Second question. Does God have a mission for you now that you are a Christian? Absolutely. God tells us this, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Go home and read those chapters and you'll find the mission again that I mentioned earlier that God had for Adam and Eve. Summed up in three words. Domestic. Genesis 1, 28. Increase in number like I created you. Number two, dominion. Genesis 1, 28, 2, 15. Subdue what is around you. The Lord God took man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and care for it. And then I, I see dominion as your job. If you aren't retired, you still have a duty. What's your duty on your job? Colossians uh, is a chapter three, whether they're not whether they were you to drink. Let me get this straight in my mind. I said that this old 84 year old brain doesn't come out like it used to readily. Your job. View it. That's verses 17 and 22. Go home and look at those two verses. You work as though Jesus Christ is your supervisor. Now you have a supervisor. But you pay attention that what you're doing, your mission, you do it as unto whom? The Lord. And not unto men, knowing that of the Lord... You will receive the reward. That's the rest of those thoughts in those Colossian passages. So God clarifies our mission. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your, what? Your bodies. A living sacrifice. How? Holy. H-O-L-Y. Holy, pleasing to God, which he says in that passage is your spiritual service. Now, there's the spiritual added to the mission. And then in verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That mind has to change. You were born with the mind of the world. God regenerated you with a new nature and gave you a mind that now can, that God, the Holy Spirit, can work through as you do your daily devotions, as you understand the scriptures. Then God can reform your thinking. What's the purpose? That you may prove what is that 
good and pleasing and perfect will of God. That's your mission. That's, that's it. From the time you're saved, you are faithful in the scriptures. You're faithful in listening to that pastor who is one of those four, five percent that were called out from the congregation whom God appoints as elders, pastors, bishops. Three terms, one man. And that's quite a development within that. So, God clarifies your mission. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And then, question number three. Are you doing fully the will of God for your mission? My devotions this morning was, of all places in the scripture, Jonah chapter 1. Jonah was a prophet of God. God said, your mission, Jonah, is to go to Nineveh. Well, he bought a ticket for Tarshish. He was going to flee from the mission of God. And God said, no, I'm not going to let you do that. Great storm, you know the story from childhood. The winds, the waters, the shipmates, they all had gods. Little G-O-D-S. Jonah had God. Uppercase G-O-D. God pointed, pointed, had those men point the finger at Jonah. This is all because you are off your mission. Not those terms, but that's the summation of it. They throw him overboard. God prepared a great fish. Swallowed Jonah. And you know the rest of the story. If you don't, go home and read the other three chapters. God is sovereign. And so the question, are you doing faithfully the will of God for your mission? Paul, from the time he met Christ on the Damascus Road, he said, what, what will you have me do? When he defended himself in Acts chapter 17, I believe it is, he's talking to Felix and he said, I asked the question way back at the point of my salvation, Savior, what will you have me do? And he sought to do it. You know, a lot of people use an excuse. Young guys, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was called of God as a young teenager. I'm not sure what age Jeremiah was. But God said, Jeremiah, I'm calling you. You're going to go to the nations. And you're going to preach to the nations what I'm going to do to the nations. And Jeremiah said, I can't do it. I'm young. And God corrected Jeremiah. He said, Jeremiah... Who made your mouth? Jeremiah was reminded that the will of God was the most important thing for his life. Nothing else mattered. And God assured him, I'll care for you. 
Beloved, I, I don't know, I really don't know what this message has done for you. But when I formulated these thoughts, now a widower, and knowing that my mission's not complete, I praise God that my wife and I served side by side. Her mission's finished. I rejoice for her. She's in heaven. Would you have her come back? If I did, you know what she'd tell me? What'd you do that for? I'm going. I'm going. I don't know when. But I know until I go, I have a mission. And you know, part of my mission, unbeknownst to me, two months ago, that I'd stand in this pulpit. That's part of my mission. Now, my mission in this pulpit is spiritual. To challenge this congregation of people that they stay focused. So I want you to just take a moment and sort of say, God, help me absorb all that I've heard. And there was so much more that I could have said. Just take a moment quietly and soak it in. Mission. Are you AWOL? Are you on mission? You're one or the other. This message, you might say, didn't do nothing for me. You might say, it clarified some issues concerning my salvation. I'll tell you, losing my wife clarified a lot of focus for me. Do I miss her? Absolutely I miss her. But if she were in heaven and she were to speak to you as a congregation, she'd say, I want my husband to finish his mission and then come home. So maybe it's helped you understand. Maybe you would be able to say this morning, I can trust God with my life. I could tell you so many things. God opened the door when we resigned from the pulpit ministry, opened the door for my wife and I to go and teach in the Bible college in Philippines, Word of Life. I could stand here and tell you the things that God did. Pastors are poor people. We always have our needs met. But God put together six pastor friends who said, we'll support you. I didn't ask. They said, you're going? They said, we want to, we want to support you. Now, I had Social Security coming in at that time, my wife and I both. But the things, we built a house that we could live in for two years and leave it to word of life. God gave us the money from people who were faithful, who were on their mission to provide. So I want you to take a moment. Just bow your heads with me, please. And I want you to ask the question, am I a Paul? Paul said, 
I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. And he went on to say, what I am saying to you now, Felix, is true and it's reasonable. Can you say what Paul just said? I was not disobedient. Can you say what Jeremiah said? I don't know how to speak, Father. I'm too young. And God said, who called you? Maybe God's speaking to the heart of someone this morning for full-time ministry. That's spiritual as well as your mission. I could go on and talk about Jonah further. I could talk about Esther. But be honest with God and yourself. What do you need to do to be on your mission? Is there repentance from the area of your life that you need to repent of? Is there stronger faith? Maybe someone needs Christ. Maybe you've Maybe the Holy Spirit has spoken to someone. Maybe you get, need to get saved. You know. Are you on mission? Or AWOL? Father, I thank you for the privilege of standing here behind the sacred desk to discharge my mission of ministry of preaching one more time. I don't know whom I have spoken to, their heart, because I don't speak to the heart. Holy Spirit does. And if there is someone that needs repentance, let them repent. Turn to Christ. If they need a stronger faith, God's calling them to do some particular task that they're afraid to do. Give them faith to step out and to do the will of God. I love you, Father. I love you not... Because I love you first. You love me first. And you sent Christ to save me, to walk with me, empower me, and when I'm finished, to take me home. Thank you, God, for mission. In Jesus' name, amen.